Hello, listeners. Hello, friends. Welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, the 1999 Roswell edition. We are so excited to be back and recording with you. Um, Listen, I didn't ever want to admit this, ever, ever. But there's two days before the episode comes out, and uh, we ran out of episodes. <laughs> So uh, we're we're sitting down tonight uh, in the same place, but yet far apart because, um, Megan, what happened to you? <coughs> <laughs> I have COVID. <laughs> That's disgusting. People are going to catch COVID from this episode. That's right. I dodged it for ages and I was like, oh, there's a new booster out. I will wait two weeks to get it because I'm going to go somewhere a week after it came out and it's two weeks for full efficacy. So I'll just wait till I get back. Idiot Megan. Idiot Megan. <laughs> I got it when I went somewhere. Sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay. And my job has been really cool about it. They're letting me take I'm like, you guys, I'm taking Wednesday off. And they're like, but we have two meetings. And I'm like, fine, I'm taking half of Wednesday off. So <laughs> I'm just going to take a bunch of naps tomorrow in between stuff. But work's been going really well for me lately. It's just been going really well. And the showrunner likes how I direct my episodes, and which is great. But also special thanks to our supervising director, Barry, who really helps me out. So I guess Mike likes how Barry... And I direct the episodes together. But anyway, my name is Megan and... Wait, 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 wait. Well, it's no, it's no Bert and Birdie, but I guess Barry and Meg have a good ring to it, I no, guess. No, it doesn't. <laughs> That's not a ring. Emily, you can't just say two words and say they ring. <laughs> Me, look well, how around. We... Oh, it's like headphones and water bottle. It's got a great ring. <laughs> not how it Sure it is for podcasters. That's like part of the holy trifecta: water bottle, microphone, computer. That's what you need, right? But that they don't have a great <laughs> ring to them. Okay, fine. Not like Bert and Birdie. That's got poetry. Um, it does have poetry. I'm I'm sad that that you don't think Barry and Meg has the same poetry. Um, I have to interject really fast. Any weird noises you hear, it's the cats. It's I can do nothing about it. Okay. Did anyone ask you to do anything about it? <laughs> I mean, our listeners probably. They're probably going to be like, why are all three of Megan's cats running around at Emily's feet at 9 o'clock at night? I see all three of them right now. Well, good, because they've been hanging out with me all day. I've been, okay, so I just got a laptop and a tablet, so I could, I'm like, this is so I can be more mobile with my workspace, uh, but now it means that I can just work and lay in bed, which is actually really nice, and I may do that even when I'm not sick. Uh, oh, Megan, uh, our listeners don't know that we have three cats now. I mean, they know now. We have three cats now. Uh, I've gotten a new kitten. Her name is, well, her full name is... Olivia Taz Junebug, because uh, she was named Taz at the shelter. Emily helped me pick her out, and then um, she's a brown tabby with uh, like 
cool undertones. So it's like she looks a little greenish in the right light. So as we were driving home, I'm like, we'll call her Olivia because she'll be the only olive I'll ever love. I want, no, listen, I want the people to know. Okay. You said we were just going to go look. I said we probably were just going to go look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't pick on me. I'm sick. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do feel bad now. Listen, she has uh, damage to her eye and her nasal cavities because she got bit on the face by a dog when she was like a baby, baby. So she has one of her eyes is... <sighs> <laughs> One of her eyes. I can hear you all the way downstairs. Yeah. I have good lungs, a good diaphragm. I am so (laughs) sorry for everyone who gets to listen to me hack and sniffle and cough. My throat was doing pretty good, but we had a four hour edit session video call today, and I'm feeling a little wiped out. But Emily made me watch Roswell anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Megan offered to let me make her watch Roswell today. <laughs> I even offered to do two episodes of Roswell tonight when I thought my meeting was only going to run for two hours, but that ended up mm-hmm. being, again, not the case. Not a thing, but that's okay. Well, we are so excited to sit down and podcast separately and apart, but together in heart, I guess. I don't know, but... uh yeah, my name's Emily, and I should be working on my book. My name's Megan, and I probably should be napping. But instead... We're making a podcast! <laughs> We're making a podcast! <laughs> well, I am ready now. I don't know about you, but I'm ready now. All right, Emily, let's let's talk about... I don't know. It, it took us a long time to even just watch this episode because we watched half of it a while ago. And this is part of a two-parter that I was actually interested in. That's it was just right. halfway through the first time, it was like late at night. And I was like, we got to stop. We got to stop and pick this no. up another day. No, Why that's not what happened. Because you had a meeting you had to go to that you forgot about. Oh, that makes sense. That sounds like me. So I kindly said, okay, we'll watch it another day. Not because we were too tired. Mm, That makes sense. But this is Roswell, season two, episode nine, Max in the City. And it is a part two of a two-parter. We'll give a quick, brief overview. This picks up. Uh, We remember in the previous episode, Max decided to go to New York with Tess and Rath and Lonnie to meet with everyone at the summit. And this is the summit episode of what happens then. So Max has gone to New York. He meets with other aliens. New York, New York. Yeah. And uh, we get, I guess we don't really learn about the other aliens. We get a, a few personal facts about them, but we don't really learn much else about them. And I was a little disappointed in that. Well, I I hope they're just, this was a teaser trailer for them. So here's the thing. I don't want to go beat by beat by beat, but we open up with Max on a very crowded elevator talking about alien stuff. Like, no care in the world that people can hear him. He's just like, was this a mistake to come here to this alien summit? I mean, he doesn't really say that, but he is real freaked out about this whole thing. I'm like... Maximilian. He is over. Shut your trap. Yeah. 
Yeah. I get why he's nervous. So listen, okay, I'm going to jump in and get ahead of all of this. I think this is a huge turning point for Max's character this episode because we start off, he's so nervous and he's just like not even trembling. He's just so nervous and so unsure of himself versus the end of this episode where he's really come into his own and... I, I will talk about it as we get there, but Meg, I know you haven't always been the biggest Max fan. <laughs> Did this episode change your mind at all? No. Oh, okay. He didn't do anything different. Why would this change my mind? <laughs> He's... He's nicer at the end. <laughs> Listen, Emily, Max is a butthole for the... It's... Sorry, sorry. That's too harsh. You're Max sick. I'll is allow very it. full of himself for the entirety of an episode, and he does like one slightly nicer apologetic thing at the end, and it doesn't undo. Yeah. Besides, what nice thing did he do? He, I think he chills out a little more. That that is my main thing. I think he chills out some okay. by the end of the episode and and becomes more cool. Not like a coolness factor, but like he becomes a little more chill. Mm-hmm. And I know that's been bothering you for a bit that he's been so uptight about this, yeah. but I okay. I we'll feel this is it, a turning point. We'll see if this carries through to Christmas because next week's a okay. Christmas episode. Yay! I'm so excited. But yeah, um, so this this episode starts out. They're in the elevator. They're at the top of the Empire State Building, and maybe I'm just like harping on things that don't need to be harped on. But but like Tess is talking about like. You, this is like, see this view? You're a king and this is the view that you deserve. And you can tell Max is starting to warm up to the idea a little bit of like, oh, I'm, I'm king of the world. Like there's, here's this poor kid who's lived behind a tree his whole life and all of a sudden is expected to be the decision maker for millions and millions and millions of people. Like that has got to be tough on anybody, but I feel especially bad for Max because this is so far outside of his comfort zone. Like he's kind of been pushed into the role of leader, unspoken leader amongst the aliens in Roswell. And now he's literally expected to be a figurehead of an entire planet. I don't know. I, I'm willing to give him a break when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. I... Ex- extrapolate explain i think it's very listen i think it's very stupid that these planets of millions of people are like this 18 year old clone gets all of the big decisions so it's more like he's being set up by five worlds of incredibly idiotic peoples <laughs> and there's no way that he was like gonna be able to make everyone happier. I I think you know what I do think he makes the right choice at the summit though, like not to agree, like mm-hmm. not to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My yeah. my big. I just don't like Max as a That's character. Fine. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you though, and without I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I totally agree that they. We find out later on in the episode that they test Max to see if he's really the king or not. And he passes the test and they're like, great, boom, you're the king. And they they know nothing about this kid 
I mean, I would think that these other aliens, like, they don't check to see if he has any memories of the of the planet he ruled. I mean, he's literally a cloned, he's like half a clone. He's half a copy of his original self. His original mm-hmm. self is dead. And these aliens, and maybe it's a cultural thing that I don't understand, so if it is, apologies. But just the idea that they expect him to just step into these shoes when he's had no training. He's had no preparation for this at all in the slightest. And yeah, it's a dumb plan. So here's here's what I'm guessing is this alien culture must believe like completely in like the bloodline. Like yeah, following the bloodline. Like doesn't matter if you're a good ruler or not. If you're born into the family... It's your divine right to rule, which is not always a great way. Okay, I don't want to say that because the queen's funeral was this week and I don't want to like get into that, so. But I love that you said it's not always. Emily, could you tell us some exceptions where a higher power picked a good monarch? Uh, The Thief series by Megan Wayne. That's fictional! (laughs) So is Roswell! Listen, I'm not a history major. I don't know. I'm just saying. I I feel bad dumping on this clearly alien made-up culture, but apparently this is how it's structured, and so we're just going to have to go along with it. Okay, but... But our first surprise comes very, very quickly. Well, maybe not a surprise. Meg, you kind of, I think, guessed that this was going to happen. Uh... <laughs> Oh, I also want to say, as soon as they opened in an elevator, I'm like, they're going to the Empire State Building. They're going to the Empire (laughs) State Building. And then, like, the camera lingered on floor 86 when the elevator stopped. And I was like, woo, I'm a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Because, Meg, you've been there and I've been there. We've both been to the Empire State Building at separate times. Oh, you have have been there. I had to double check. I went twice. I was deathly ill the first time and don't remember much about it. Uh, (laughs) But then I went a few months later and went back. It was great. (laughs) Hilariously, I'm deathly ill right now and don't remember much about it. (laughs) I'm, you guys, I'm not deathly ill. I've had all my shots. I, it's really just like a stuffy nose. I don't even have a sore throat with it at this point. And I've been checking my temperature and I don't have a fever. In fact, my uh, temperature was a couple degrees below what's good for humans, actually. It's a cheap thermometer. Please don't be worried about you that You told too much. me today it was a fancy thermometer. I did not. I said it's not a fancy thermometer. Oh, I thought you said I got a fancy thermometer. Oh, no. I did not get a fancy thermometer. So apparently I have a stuffy nose and stuffy ears. <laughs> <laughs> But, Meg, what's the first big surprise, quote-unquote, of the episode? Nicholas. <laughs> Here he is. He's back. Listen, I know this is weird. I love the way Duplicate Michael walks. Like, he looks like he's just, like, curved all the way over. Like, he's just hunched over and just, like, lumbers. Like, he's definitely the muscle. His hands. Okay, there's a scene much later on where he grabs Tess in the face. Spoilers. 
His hand is huge. It it looks like Andre the Giant grabbing Princess Buttercup in a Princess Bride. <laughs> Sir, your your stature. <laughs> I really like how they play up. They play up that he's the the muscle and not so much the brain. He's very hot headed, and it's similar enough to our Michael, but but we also know that our Michael is very intelligent. And I just like these subtle, these subtle different ways that they play the characters. Like this Michael, this alternate Michael is a follower. Like Volandra, she is the brains of everything. She's the one I feel that has like masterminded this whole thing and has knows how to play Nicholas, knows how to play everybody. I just, I just really was enjoying alternate Michael's acting choices. Yeah. Oh, we were talking in our last episode about TV shows that had that where actors got to play themselves. Uh-huh. We forgot to mention Buffy. Oh yeah. That's like one of the best ones. You've got the episode where Xander is, you know, we get double Xanders. Uh mm-hmm. there's the all the times that we get Willow versus uh vampire wait. Willow. And then you get Buffy Wait, wait, what? What did you know that the actor who plays Xander is a twin. twin. Yes. I thought so. I thought, and then I was like, no, I'm making this up. I can't say that on the podcast. Ah, but he's a twin. That's right. His twin plays him. Yes. Right. But his, Did I his, make that his, up? Tw- his, 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 wow. Can you? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Did he become thumpy on the back? No. His twin doesn't play him through the whole episode. Like, um, the the actor played both versions of Xander when they were apart. It's just the scenes where they were together, they brought his, his actual twin brother in. You know what other actor <laughs> has a twin brother that they're both actors, and there's a couple TV shows where they play twins. Is it the Weasley Brothers? No! <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No, it's um the guy who plays Bobby in X Men. Uh, he has a he has an identical what? twin. What? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you said Bobby, and I thought Supernatural, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're getting off track, but I was just mad that we didn't talk about Buffy because Buffy also gets to play several versions of herself, and I think it's it's just one of my favorite tropes. Yeah. Oh, you don't have to talk to me about twin versions of people I freaking love writing those <laughs> stories a couple weeks ago sorry we're, we're almost on this tangent we'll get back on but a couple weeks ago emily was brainstorming for something and i was like hey what if this character is part of a a royal guard that are all magically modified to look the exact same and and we think and emily goes i'm gonna stop you right there (laughs) you're trying to make me write another one of your stories with clones in it and i paused for a second and was like crap i am (laughs) i didn't even notice it was happening (laughs) so everybody has regrouped uh they send nicholas they send nicholas off because you know max and tess are coming back and 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 they're like hey do you want to come see where we live and obviously they're like sure so as they're walking along uh lonnie is just not lonnie i'm so sorry wrath is just grabbing 
stuff left and right. Like almost every scene he's in, he's stealing something. Which, okay, as as much as I'm just like, oh, I love all the choices he made. I almost feel like it's overkill. Like we know, we know. But at the same time, it's not overkill, if that makes any sense. Is the actor for Nicholas this short? Do they put Katherine Heigl up on heels? I think he is that short. I think he's just a short person. Okay. And she might be in heels anyway, so. Yeah. Why are we jumping back to Nicholas? Because you mentioned him, and then I was thinking about how much his uh, name sounded like the word necklace, and then I was laughing about that for a little bit, and then I looked at a shot of Isabel towering over him and was like, huh, I wonder. So there you go. That's how Are that you happened. not? We're so far ahead of that. You were just talking about necklace. I just said they're going to their lair. Necklace is far long gone. What? I'm going to give it to you, though, because you're sick. <laughs> anyway, in the lair, they have cool use of powers. I love that. Casual use of powers, I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. Isabel is like, sorry, Lonnie plays CDs with alien magic, finally. Mm-hmm. They're down in the subway. Like, like it's... I love this set because... The way that Lonnie and Wrath are set up, they're like super villains. But um, poor poor Max and poor Tess are like trudging through mud and crawling over garbage. And it's it's literally like a rat's nest. Like there's garbage everywhere. There's lights hung up and stuff, but it's messy. It's okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, this scene got me. I don't know if that's what people were, if that's what, like, these people meant to do when they set out this scene. But where they are is where their four pods are. So this mm-hmm. is where the New York aliens hatched. And I couldn't help but obviously compare the New Mexico aliens to the New York aliens, where these people, these poor New York aliens came out in the garbage in the underground on, I mean, I'm assuming so far unwanted. They were the backups. Like Mm -hmm. they had to scrape and dig their way out basically and make a life for themselves. And I felt like Max and Tess were really judgy about this because they're kind of like, okay, this is where you live. I'm like, where else are they supposed to live? Where? How? Like, come on, guys. Something I super beef with at the end of the episode is they just set other tests free into the world without any kind of help or support. And I'm like, hello? She's grown up in the subway tunnels. Help her. And Emily's like, what are they supposed to do? And I'm like, the sheriff adopted the first test, didn't he? No, sorry. I, I remember this. I remember this conversation, but I was just like, to me, it felt like she wanted to leave. Like, she didn't want to stay there. And to me, I felt like you were saying, why can't they keep her there? Oh, and I said, no. what do you want them to do? Tie her up and throw her in the basement? No, I want That's them where to I help her. <laughs> I agree with you. I think they should have helped her. But okay. I, I just thought this juxtaposition was so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. these, like, Michael's playing some dumb game with a balls and a hockey stick and like trashing stuff on purpose like it's just 
it's not a good place mm-hmm. like at all uh and one thing that that uh lonnie says that really got me because max is like you live here and she's like yep you one day you wake up you rip through the membranes and you step into the brave new world of the sewers like it's like going from bad to worse <laughs> sort of a thing but i think we forget that uh that tess is basically our biggest source of knowledge because she lived with Nisato and she mentions why did your protectors bring you here and Lonnie gets really dismissive and she's like what is it with you and all your questions about the shapeshifter like Tess is desperately trying to like make sense of what's going on you know and I don't know like it's got to be so confusing it's got to be so confusing they want to talk about like okay okay I hope I don't harp on this too much. But again, this is our podcast. I can talk about whatever I want. Wrath is posturing. Uh, Max is posturing. They're kind of looking like they're going to get into it. And then Lonnie just so calmly from the, you know, from where she is, she's like, boys, don't make me get off this couch. Like she just fixes it. We didn't see a whole lot of Zan interact with everybody, but I feel like, and I've said this before, I feel like Lonnie is the real power in this group she is the unspoken leader even if she wasn't outright in charge when zane was around i'm sure she pulled all the strings yeah that like she lets the boys think they're in charge but she Mm -hmm. always gets what she wants and they always do what she chooses yeah yeah so i was just i'm really impressed with her she's despicable and i love her i was just i'm just so Listen, I don't have face blindness, uh-huh. but I forget sometimes that, you know, like, I think we've mentioned it before, whenever I try to watch Orphan Black, there'll be moments where I catch myself thinking, I can't believe I hired so many actresses who look so similar, <laughs> even though I know how this works. And I was feeling the same, especially with some of her scenes with Nicholas, especially her later scene with Nicholas when she's threatening him, that mm-hmm. I'm just like. I, that's not Catherine Heigl. They found an incredible, perfect lookalike for her and brought her in for the episode. Again, it's driven home how different of a group this is because we've got Lonnie and Rath making out on the couch talking about how awesome alien sex is. And so we've got them making out and right in front of Tess and Max who look extremely uncomfortable. And it's just driven home again. It goes from that scene back to New Mexico where Isabel and Michael are sitting at a table not making out like like just the difference of these this group is I love it I love it this is one of my favorite like story plots are these dupes and like how different they are so we find out that it's Thanksgiving and Max has just left and he hasn't told his parents where they're going they're asking questions you know anyways Isabel's trying to cover for him and everything, but she's so angry at him. She's so angry that he left. And again, we're reminded Max was tricked into going by Lonnie and Rath, who pretended to be Isabel and Michael. Oh, Megan, this is the scene. This is it. And Emily, I have to ask you, Mm -hmm. who is spreading the rumors at school that Liz and Kyle slept together? Okay, this is a good question because... Maria comes up to Liz and just says, there's the weirdest rumor going around and ha ha ha. Have you heard about it? It's that you and Kyle slept together. And Liz just said, well, that's cause we did. Um, 
And I don't think it was Kyle. I don't think it was Kyle. Like, he... I think he understood in that moment he was doing her a favor and it was really, really difficult. And it's not something that he would go around and brag about. I think even if he wasn't... Like, right now we see him going through this very spiritual journey. I think even if he was still... Well, okay, hold on. Maybe I'm going off on a tangent. But, I mean, he's different now. He's different this season because he died he had a near-death experience it really 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 changed him he Um, he had a there and back again death experience (laughs) but you're right I don't think it was Kyle but at the same time I can't imagine that Liz would have taken it that far because here's as to spread rumors yeah the rumor is that they actually slept together and they did not and Kyle would not lie about it yeah so this means Max is the one who's been telling people. <laughs> or Tess. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, do you know what? Tess, Tess is the best. Do you know what? Tess is the best outlet. Not in a malicious way, but in a like, oh, somebody at school could have commented, oh, why is Evan so upset? She's like, oh, it's because Liz Parker slept with Kyle. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, okay, problem solved. Because I'm like... I could see someone overhearing Max talk about it while he's in an elevator or something. And then <laughs> that spreads to the school that way. So so I could buy that one, Tess outright told someone. Or two, Max was having feelings about it out loud. Someone overheard and it started spreading that way. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, Do you think? do you think Liz spread the rumor or... No. Um, I wonder, because here, right here, she's talking to Maria, and Maria keeps pushing, like, no, like, you and Kyle Valenti slept together. And Liz actually doesn't seem that surprised that the rumor is going around. Um, So I'm assuming if someone, like, mentioned something to her or said something to her, just like she's doing here with Maria, that -hmm. she would have been like, yeah, we did. Um, And... Maria here is extremely upset, extremely upset that Liz didn't tell her. And they've they've kind of been building this up for a while where like last episode where Wrath kissed Liz in the hallway and didn't tell Maria, you know, and Maria found out about that and got really upset. Now Maria's finding out that quote unquote Liz and Kyle slept together and she's really upset that Liz didn't tell her. Um, I, I think they're doing a really good job at like, putting in these friendship roadblocks. I don't know what else you want to call them, but Mm -hmm. like these, yeah, bumps in the road, bumps in the road. Maria keeps pushing Liz and pushing Liz about like, why didn't you want to talk about it? And she's like, I was embarrassed. And okay. I feel one way about this conversation that goes on between Liz and Maria. And it may not be the way that other people feel about it. I, in most instances like this, I would be like, whoa, Maria, back off. Like, back off. But I don't feel like she's being pushy or being nosy. Where she's just like, how could you not have told me? Like, how could you not have? And she keeps pushing, why, 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 why? And I don't know. I don't know. I just, I completely understand why she's super upset. Is like, Liz is her very best friend in the whole wide world. They know about aliens. Like, there's no secrets between them at all. But for 
Liz to not say anything is really hurtful to Maria and I totally get that. So Liz kind of cuts the conversation off and goes to take out some trash and finds Ava sleeping in the alleyway. And we just realize this is just something that Ava does. Like it's not even a big deal to her that she's sleeping on the street in garbage. Like this is just her life. And oh, it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart because you can tell Liz is like, you're sleeping out here? Like it's so far out of Liz's wheelhouse to even think that that would be a viable option. And I just mm-hmm. love, I just love the unspoken differences. I love the acting choices everybody makes. I just think this is a really good episode. Yeah. Oh, I want to go back to New York before Phantom closes forever. I know. It's so sad. Well, meanwhile in New York. New York, New York. Max is getting tested by a person wearing a person suit. An alien wearing a person suit. And you can tell, like, Raph is nervous because this is the test. Like, this is the test. If if Max does not pass, they do not get to go to the summit. And it means they've killed the wrong clone. But, uh... Meg, it's it's the the V for victory. <laughs> it's family. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yep, it's that it's that constellation. They do some sort of alien thing where like a projection of it shoots out of Max's head into like midair or whatever. And um, <laughs> this was so great because he has to like sign paperwork and Meg you're like is that a timesheet <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's a timesheet they just printed off they just printed off a work timesheet or they just grabbed because you guys this is specifically a call sheet like the sort of timesheet that i fill out for work in <laughs> animations and like film and stuff with like the lunch break and the what studio does this so i would bet that this is an actual timesheet used by people on their on their production which that made me laugh so hard because later max actually says it's a timesheet and i'm like okay i'm not special <laughs> the emissary works for a temp agency <laughs> like he's so confused um okay i want to talk about this emissary guy for a little bit because this is when we find out that aliens from the other planets are not actually here on this planet they are basically possessing other bodies and using them as like suits to kind of like walk around and do their bidding while they're you know like projecting like clear off on you know off planet off world but the emissary is the first one that like once he tests max and is like oh this is you and he has him sign it he's like sign here your highness and this is like i think max understands in that moment oh oh i'm the highness like oh me <laughs> but i and i'm again maybe i'm reading too far into this this uh, the emissary is in a green suit and i don't know if that is a call out to little green men alien sort of a thing or if Ooh. that's just the color that he was wearing but um I like that yeah idea. thank you but yeah wrath uh is explaining what it means to like to be for these people to be possessed or whatever um we we have a great scene 
with Maria and Liz calling each other on their house phones in the dark of the night. <laughs> um, but then Liz and Maria end up by a fountain, obviously to mask their stuff. But it's so funny the way they ask where Liz is like, oh, we need to go back to the place, that time where we did the thing with the person. And I'm trying to remember, did they talk to Miss Topolsky by this fountain? Do you remember? I don't think they did. Okay. Anyway, and then Liz is able to, at this point, really confide in Maria a lot more of the truth of what, what happened with the whole Kyle Max situation. Yeah, I I really loved this because she finally gets to let, because she couldn't really talk to this about future Max. She obviously can't couldn't talk to this about present day Max or Kyle or anybody. And so you, this actress makes some really good, I feel some really good acting choices where she's just like, so the reason the world ended is, get this, Tess and Max weren't together when the aliens, when the enemies invaded the earth. It was because Max and I were already married. Like, like you can tell she's so, she has feelings about this. And I think she's still sad that she doesn't get her happily ever after with Max Evans. And mm -hmm. I think knowing that in one life she did is even more hurtful than not having it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. So, But we also felt like this scene was like put in by the WB or the CW or whoever to be like, they're like, oh, well, you're still a virgin? I'm still a virgin. Like, woo, virgins forever. You know, I think they were kind of being like, <laughs> having sex isn't that great. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> well, I think it's because we need to balance out because uh Lonnie and Wrath were like alien sex is amazing yeah, and so they had yeah. to have Liz and Maria be like but being a virgin's great too <laughs> we find out uh through some really great things that uh Brody didn't make his usual lunch call Brody no Brody's not there next shot is he died he's in he, he did not die <laughs> <laughs> he's Sorry. in New York He's in New York, and we're just like, I mean, we, we pretty pretty quickly extrapolate that, you know, he's there as a suit puppet or whatever, so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But we find out that that V that uh, was in Max's head was the royal seal, and it's the the five worlds. And so they, they get to learn some really cool stuff about their, their home planet, so. My question is, weren't they originally told that the... New Mexico team was the replacements. And um, I think them proving that Max is the real one. Like, the New York ones don't say anything about it. They're just like, oh, you're the king. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Just bam. You're king. That's all. That's all I need to know. But Tess is confused as to why they're sending, like, avatars instead of coming themselves and... You know, Wrath very sarcastically explains that it's not like Star Trek. They don't just go around and that people are only, like, people would only come to Earth if there was a really good reason. And this is not a good enough reason. What this summit is going to be instead is like a, uh, a peace brokering. Apparently there's a huge war going on with all five of the planets. And Kavar, the one that took over, uh, everybody hates him. And people are dying. Just like 
dying and Kavar is ready to do anything to end the fighting, including letting these people come back home. And Max and Tess are just like, oh, home. And so they're like, oh, so everyone will get to come home, all of us. And they're like, no, Lonnie and Rath are like, no, it's the four, the royal four, not everybody. And, and, you know, Lonnie's trying to smooth this all over and everything. And, and yeah, Max finds out that they really want the Granolith as a bargaining chip. That if Max can give them the Granolith, the people that have come, that, uh, they're going to be able to go home, that that's the one thing that everybody wants. Um, and Max flat out lies and tells, tells Lonnie, I've never, I've never heard of the Granolith. And Ooh. yeah, everyone's like, oh, that's too bad. I think they know. I think they know he's lying. I'm, at yeah. least that's what I think. I wonder if she suspects. <laughs> but like, because they mentioned the Granolith and Tess gets all like, oh, oh, like just, freaked out I think is the right word where she doesn't have a very good poker face in this she usually does but but I don't think she has a very good poker face she ain't got to love nobody speaking of Tess we're back in New Mexico with Ava who is having a flat out screaming nightmare yeah it's rough being her it is rough being her Liz has invited her into her parents house you know so that she has a nice place to sleep and she reveals to Liz well she doesn't actually uh she just starts talking about because she says she can't talk about the accident but she starts talking about Zan and how much she loves him and I love that Liz and Ava are bonding over their respective maxes like <laughs> okay 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 this scene I love this scene, and I'm not going to go beat by beat by beat, but Ava is not surprised that that Max and Liz were a thing because she says it always felt like Zane was just waiting for someone else to come into his life. So we're seeing mm. these parallels and everything. And listen, if they could just clone some more Maxes, everything would be okay because we can give that clone to Tess <laughs> that Liz can have her Max, you know? But she tells Ava, like, I got shot and Max brought me back. Like, he brought me back to life. And that kind of weirds Ava out. Like, this actress does a really good job where she's just like, obviously, this is important. But she's not telling Liz why she's acting like this. But the audience is tipped off like, ooh. <laughs> So we don't know if it's against the rules to bring someone back from the dead or if, you know, this parallels something else that, you know, maybe Ava and, and Zan had experienced or whatever. But, but mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, do you think if Liz and Zan had met that they would have had this sort of same stirring connection? I mean, obviously, personality-wise, Zan is quite different from Max. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Because here, here's why I'm hesitant is that... There's so much history between Max and Liz from the time they were little kids. So I almost feel like that's where their connection comes from. And so I don't I don't know how I would reconcile a stranger. You know, if it was Zan instead of Max and she got shot that day, I don't know that Zan would have gone and helped a random person who got shot. Does that make sense? Right, right. What do you think, though? Um, 
he might have if he was if he sensed that connection because Liz was not just a random person to Max. Yeah. This next part kind of brings up our least favorite trope, Megan, I feel like, you and I, where Max has called home. He's called New Mexico and is asking Isabel if she wants to come home and Michael wants to come home, home meeting the alien planet. And there are just several times where Max says something in reference to the argument that happened in the previous episode that he thought, he and Isabel had but it was really him and Lonnie in disguise and he never quite finishes enough of a thought for it to tip either one of them off that something is that they're talking about two very different things I thought they did it well in this scene though but usually I hate this usually I hate the miscommunication trope I'm like if you had listened at the doorway for an extra 15 seconds the very Mm -hmm. next sentence out of this person's mouth would have been Something Mm -hmm. that would have cleared everything up. This one I didn't mind so much this time. Also, okay, so the one thing that annoyed me the most about this call Mm -hmm. is Max being like, so he's had like all day to think about this. Or at least some time. But he's like, Isabel, I need your answer right now. I need it right now. And he's like not giving her or Michael like any time to think through this what is a huge decision. And it's. Another example of him being like, my feelings are obviously correct and everyone else around me is stupid. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I agree. But I also don't envy him the position he's in. Like, all of a sudden, the fate of millions of lives is on his shoulder. And I think he's trying to figure out if he should give them the granolith or not. Like, like if he does this, will they appreciate him? Will Will Isabel and, and Michael appreciate him? for doing this for them to get them home when they might not want to leave in the first place. But um, even though Max doesn't put things together, Isabel has put things together and realizes Lonnie impersonated her. And she goes and confronts Ava about it. And this was such an interesting, interesting scene because, you know, they're trying to interrogate her. Um, And, okay, do you remember the scene where we had Courtney in the bathtub and her husk (laughs) was failing her and Tess was the one who was willing to like in torture gate Courtney and was willing to do whatever it took to get answers so we have we have Isabel here we have Ava here we have Michael here and Isabel's trying to get answers and Ava is like I don't know why Lonnie did what she did Michael raises a hand very very calmly just explodes a bunch of glasses that are up in the in the diner. Isabel jumps and is like clearly uncomfortable with that, clearly thrown off by that. Ava doesn't bat an eyelash. And I just find that so sad because she has got to be so used to Wrath doing that. That Michael doing that, just breaking some glasses, does not even phase her at all. And I just find it really, really sad. And I think it's a great, a great acting choice. But she's, like, Ava is being threatened, bodily threatened, and she's not going to say anything until Liz pulls her aside and very kindly asks, please, if Max is in danger, please help us save him. Wouldn't you have wanted someone to save Zan? And she uses that connection that they have. I just, I love this this softer connection that these two girls have who 
love quote unquote the same person and uses that love to encourage Ava to help save them. And this is when Ava reveals that, yeah, Lonnie and Rath did kill Zan and they're probably going to kill Max. Oh no. And this is, remember, this is at a time where cell phones aren't really a thing. Some people have them, some people don't. So they do not know how they're going to get a hold of um, Max to warn him. Max is in danger and there's no way that they can they can get him there. So and they get to the summit. They're at the summit. And, and Lonnie is still doing her manipulation thing about like really trying to get Max to... Uh, empathize and sympathize with her so that I think she's doing this so that he will pick what she wants I think she still can tell that Max doesn't know which direction he's going to go so she really lays it on thick and heavy like oh you're the brother that I never had in Zan and she's just being really manipulative I think in order to get him to choose um what she has clearly vocalized that she wants I'm impressed with her but um here we are led to the summit with all of the different um all of the different types of avatars that have been chosen both of the ladies are gingers which i'm just like obviously goes to show that gingers are very important to the fate of the world thank you very much or the aliens just have a preference uh yeah they do maybe you have to be some sort of really weird mutant for uh this <laughs> alien choice to work <laughs> listeners for those of you who don't know emily has red hair and i have very hair colored hair <laughs> <laughs> you have brody colored hair i have what oh brody i thought <laughs> yeah. you said grody and i was like okay that's fair <laughs> Because Brody is there representing one of the worlds. We've got the four people there representing the worlds. And they sit down to have a, a, a meeting. Stupid Nicholas walks in to represent Kevar And uh, gives some ultimatums about here's what we want and here's what we're going to get. So we talked a little bit about this at the beginning. But these aliens have got Max here who's quote unquote the true king. And I don't know why they don't just take him back with them if he's the real king. But apparently Kavar is like they can only come back if these stipulations are fulfilled. But at the same time, I'm like, Kavar, the entire world is like these five planets are all infighting and angry. And how does Kavar still have power? I mean, maybe he has access to their military or whatever. And maybe this is why. But... Uh, apparently what Kavar wants is that he will abdicate the throne and let the royal four come back with the following conditions is that Max will become king in name only. Like Kavar is still going to rule behind the scenes. Max will just be a puppet and Kavar will be the puppet master. Apparently Max apparently needs to tell his followers to lay down their weapons and support the new governments. Max looks really taken aback here. And Megan, remind me, in the Harvest episode, we find out about Volandra supporters. Mm -hmm. Does Max find out about that? Does he still not know about the different factions? Uh, I think I think Lonnie told him a bunch about Volandra pretending to be Isabel. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I don't know if Max knows that she had followers here. 
because he found out about the Volandra project there. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think he, because he just thinks, oh, I'm king, I'm special, I'm a special boy, and that everyone back home follows him. I don't think he knows that there's other factions. Yeah. Although, Courtney probably told them, because Courtney was like, oh my gosh, I'm a Michael girl. Oh, that's right, that's right. So we knew that there were Michael and that there were Isabel followers, supporters, but I don't think Max knew that he had them. And he does look surprised there that like people are still fighting for him to be king. And I just love the way the actor plays this is that little like look of surprise on his face. Like he's getting a little more information about his home planet that he had no idea. Um, but the third thing is that they want the granolith back. Nicholas wants the granolith back. Uh, and if those three things can be fulfilled, then they can come home. And the rest of the aliens are like, the granolith is in play? It's gone? Like, they didn't know this. Apparently, like, it's this huge thing, and we don't even know what it does. But, like, Max is like, I know where it is, you know? <laughs> and he, he tells him, like, it's here on Earth. And I think Tess is a little upset <laughs> yeah. she like closes her eyes like she did not want people to know that that was like <laughs> their one bargaining chip and max gave it away in a in a moment that like gave him the upper hand for a moment but i think he also just painted a target on everybody's backs uh and yeah. lonnie and wrath are pissed that he lied to them about not knowing where the granolith was mm. <laughs> yeah this this idea that the aliens have put forth all of this effort to have a summit that lasts for 10 minutes was a little disappointing. I don't know how else they would have drawn it out. Like, I understand, like, it fits perfectly in the context of this episode and this storyline. But when you step back and look at, like, the bigger picture, you're just like, really? That was and 10 like, minutes. Okay, they have had a... Oh my gosh, focus, Megan. They do mention that, like, it takes a lot of resources to keep this going of, of them being in their, their puppeted bodies. Mm -hmm. But I was sort of hoping that there would be like a countdown or a consequence to them trying to make the meeting go longer. Like mm -hmm. we're starting, and this might be silly and a little too Doctor Who, but we're starting to see them maybe steam or start to get uncomfortable in the bodies where it's like, it's clear they physically cannot go on with this meeting. Because Max is just like, I need to think about this. And, and the person that has Brody's body is just like, obviously, yes, but you only have 20 minutes to get this figured out. So chop, chop. And then Max is like, no, screw your deal. Screw you. And I'm keeping the granolith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Lonnie's not happy. Mm -mm. At I all. mean, no one's super thrilled with this, but it's, it's very clear that Lonnie and Wrath are going to kill Max for this. Mm -hmm. Sorry to jump back a little bit. During that 20 minutes that Max is trying to figure out what to do, he and Tess have a conversation where he reveals that Liz told him, you cannot give up the granolith. And Tess is like, how does she know about that? And Max is like, I have no idea. But she seems so short. And I love this, that Max is sharing information, that he's not just stewing on this in his head, that he is using Tess as a sounding board and is actually using her as like a a partner in this that I feel like he doesn't feel like he's so alone at this point that yeah. he has Tess on his side it might be nice it might be nice 
yeah. to have Tesseract on your side. <laughs> that's not her full name. No, but that's okay. So, we know that Lonnie and Rath want to kill him about this. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, our alien kids are trying to figure out how to warn Max about Lonnie and Rath because... Uh, what's other Tess's name? Ava. Ava has warned them that, that they killed Zan. Uh, and so Isabel's trying to, you know, dream walk and reach him that way. But she's like, it's so different because when he was getting tortured, like he was drugged. He was actually sleeping. I could, well, I could walk in his dreams. And mm-hmm. Ava reveals that Liz and Max have this connection because of Liz being brought back to life. It's changed something about her. And she helps facilitate this moment reaching out across the miles. Uh, so from New Mexico to New York, they are able to project pretty much a ghost of Liz Parker. And thankfully, Liz is there to wave at Max across the street just as this plan goes down. Uh, you could tell that like Lonnie and Rath are talking in code as they're as they're planning. They're saying, oh... Slice of pizza? It's like, no, I'm tired of that. Let's try Chinese. And that, like, echoes the conversation they were having just before they killed Zan. So, anyway, they're walking underneath this fire escape. And Wrath grabs Tess across the face. And this is when this actor's hands just look so big. It's unbelievable how gigantic his hands look in front of Tess's face. And then Lonnie is using her heightened alien magics to bring it down. However, uh, Max sees the ghost of Liz Parker waving to him across the New York street. And it's like, she's like, look out, Max. Or, yeah, she's, she's just mouthing at him. And he takes a couple steps forward and is able to dodge this fire escape that would have just crushed him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to do one more thing. Emily, have we talked about what you think this New York set is? No, um, I think it's the... New Mexico set I think they just added some police cars taxi cars a lot of people and then like the the sewer the vents with the smoke coming up the subway grates yeah yeah and and so I think it's I think it's set dressing I don't think they actually brought people to New York to film this uh so at this time I'm yelling there's no time to resolve this there's no time to resolve this because the the episode is like draining time down. Tess is kidnapped. And I honestly thought we were going to get a to be continued next week. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Tess is like Max is alive, but Tess has been kidnapped. But he goes running through the streets of New York looking for her. And he ends up running to exactly where she is. Now, Emily, do you think this was meant to be the remains of their lair? I think he went and looked there. But didn't see her there because he he goes to several places that we saw throughout the episode, but I, I mm-hmm. do think he found her and she seems a little out of it, and she talks about how they tried to get into her head to find out where the granolith was, but she didn't let them or she didn't want them to do that or whatever. And she fought them off, and he says how, and she's like I don't know, and I was cheering show me the bodies show me the bodies because what i was hoping is that the camera would pan to the wall and we would see like the outlines of bodies with soot completely surrounding them like tess fired off another sort of nuclear blast yeah just fried them um 
because I'm pretty sure this is the same set as their as their hideout. It's just empty now. It's not lit very well. Mm-hmm. And I almost wish that we would have seen that Tess had completely burned up everything there to ashes. So I wish she had been in a ruined version of that set and we would have been like, did Lonnie and Rath get away? Um, I'm guessing 100% yes, they actually got away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this part at the end, I wasn't... I wasn't sure how he found her. I wasn't sure where she was. I wish there had been something a little more storytelling in what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Although my second guess is is that Tess absorbed them and all their powers, <laughs> which is why there are no bodies. So that Got is it. my official guess. But then the episode wraps up nicely. You feel that Michael had a good ending with Isabel mm-hmm. and Liz. And Liz. Um, I... Also want to talk about, just to wrap up the summit a little bit more, when Max doesn't give up the Grand Oath, which I think a lot of it had to do with Liz telling him not to, uh, that he still trusts her. He still trusts in what she says, even though they're not really friends anymore. And he, you know, refuses Nicholas slash Kavar's offering and a lot of the aliens seem disappointed, but they everyone just gets up and leaves. Like, there's no um, debating, like, well, why not? Why can't you do this? You know, they were just like, you're the king. That's your answer. Okay, we're done. But one of the aliens, as she walks by, she says, you made a lot of enemies here today. And at first, I'm like, that's not fair. But then I'm like, mm. he, like, Max pretty much just guaranteed that the civil war is going to continue and that people are mm-hmm. still going to die. But it, again, mm-hmm. it feels so separated. It feels so distanced because it's these aliens on another world that he has no real connection to. He just has some genetic material that's the same as their leaders. Like, there's no real reason for him to... I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that make sense what I'm saying? No, that definitely makes sense. That, like, he doesn't have a personal stake in this war the way the rest of them do. Like, he has a nebulous wish to go home. And, like, mm-hmm. meet, you know, see where he's from and things. But he doesn't have actual, he can't comprehend the scale of what he's just committed to. Yeah. And I think the writers try to give that to him a little bit as the the alien that controls Brody talks to Max just for a few minutes saying, you don't remember me, but our families were very close. And he comes across as, like, a real mentor of, like, it was so hard to watch you work so hard to bring everyone together only to have it taken away by a man like Kavar. Which is kind of a different story than we've, re- than we've heard throughout the rest of the thing. Like everyone uh-huh. has talked about like, we were on the brink of a golden age and you ruined it. Like, I I don't know who to believe now. Like if, if Brody's alien you know, Avatar, whatever. It's just like, yeah, you were working so hard to make this happen with the implication that I believe you can do it again uh, versus like uh, Congresswoman Whitaker, who is just like, Max is an evil, evil person. And Valandra, you were the one who was right. Like, yep. Well, do you want to quick touch on the, the nice wraps up he has with both is and Liz? Yes. <laughs> Yes, go for it. I just said, do you want to? <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, Max does end this episode. See, this is why I think that this was a real turning point for him because he realizes kind of where Isabel comes from and is just like, I don't care if you're Isabel. I don't care if you're Volandra. You're my sister and I love you and you are more important to me kind of than anything else. And it's the beginning of a real reconciliation for their relationship, which I think has been a long time coming. I mean, I think it's it's been this way since really kind of the beginning of the season, you know, mm-hmm. where where Isabel first hears about Volandra and has decided not to tell Max, I think because she was ashamed of learning about her past. You know, we have perfect Isabel who all of a sudden found out that she's a traitor. She's the one that like, she's the reason for all of this happening for her family to be ripped apart and torn apart. And yeah. And so to have Max, it didn't feel like, oh, I forgive you. Like it didn't feel like he was being like that. It really felt like he was like, I, I get where you were coming from. And it felt like an apology, an apology and a forgiveness, but not in a real like, patronizing sort of way does that make sense yeah but max also goes to liz and i uh, listen liz gets what she wants but not really and i still feel really bad for her Uh um because max comes to her and and thanks her thank you for saving my life and she goes i guess that makes us even even though I don't feel like it's a it's that sort of relationship where like you do something nice for me and I have to reciprocate because like I've talked to people who've grown up in families like that where like if if their parents do something nice for them then their parents will withhold love and affection until their child repays the parents yeah. for the nice thing they did so it doesn't feel like that sort of relationship. It just feels really bittersweet where Liz just says, like, I guess that makes us even. I don't think she means it literally makes us even, but it's just something she's saying for the sake of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. But but Max is the one who's just like, hey, I would like to start over again and be friends again. And I think Liz is like okay, like, friends. She understands she is not getting Max back. But this is Uh better than nothing. Like, it's absolutely better than nothing. But before he leaves, he asks, please tell me, did you sleep with Kyle? And she doesn't say anything, but Meg and I both think she nodded a very, very, very tiny bit because she still has to perpetuate this lie in order to keep the world safe. Because she knows that they have enemies coming. And if it's Liz and Max, then they're hosed. Yep. Well and fair. When do we figure out how to use the granolith to travel to the future? Ah, that is a good question. Um, so the next episode is like a Christmas carol, right? Isn't that what the title is? The next episode, this is season two, episode 10, a Roswell Christmas carol. Okay, I think instead of ghosts, Max is going to be visited by representatives from the three other alien planets. Okay. And they're going to be like, make a deal, make a deal. And then the last one is going to be Nicholas. And he's like, make a deal or else I kill you. And then they blow (laughs) Nicholas up. Nice. An explosion at Christmas time. This is Yeah, very diehard. As diehard. Yes, I was going to say that. (laughs) I beat you to it. You beat me to it. But... Meg, I am so excited that you're 
enjoying this more than you were at the beginning. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. All right. Well, you made your guesses. And uh, with that, I'm going to let you go so that you can go get a nap. You mean bedtime? Bedtime. Well, you have COVID. It's not going to be a nap. It's 10 o'clock. It is time for bed. <laughs> okay. Okay. Go to bed. This is what I'm going to let you go to. I'm, like, I'm not taking a nap. I'm taking the long rest so I can get all my hit points back for tomorrow, even though my uh, status effects will remain unchanged. Sounds good. Well, I love you. Thank you again for watching this with us. And uh, remember, everyone, we believe in you. Uh, yep, we definitely do. Ready, break! Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to My Sister Made Me View at the Roswell 1999 edition. We are just so happy that you're here, so happy that you're listening, and wanted to let you know that if you really did enjoy this, that we have more feeds and we have more episodes for you to listen to. For example, a week from today on September 29th, our next Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson is going to go up. Uh, this is where Megan knows basically everything and I know nothing. And so we read it and I make guesses what happens and she makes fun of me and it's all in good fun. And then a week from that, which will be uh, October the 6th, our next Roswell, the 1999 episode will be up and ready to go. We just do this for fun. We just, you know, hang out, have fun, have a good time. So if you are enjoying this, what we would really appreciate is if you could go give us a review on iTunes or rate us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts just to get us a little boost, a little visibility out there. Uh, I super suck at doing social media for this. And so you guys are kind of our, our word of mouth people. Even if you just tell one person about us this week, we would super, super appreciate you. A special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, that we use for all of our feeds because the song rocks. Anyways, please send good healing vibes to Megan this week as she fights COVID. She's been doing okay, but you know, it still sucks and it's still awful and not fun to have. So uh, hope you guys have a better week. Hope that things go well for you. And just remember, we believe in you. Bye.